Well, um, good morning. <clears throat> it, it really is an honor to be here with you guys um, and, and just to hang out and to be able to be a part of um, just sharing the word with you this morning. I, I do want to say, before we kind of get going, um, what has occurred already this morning um, is, is nothing short than the gospel message through song, uh, through prayer, through, like, I go to Edgar's a lot, Edgar's Bakery. Not sure if you're familiar with Edgar's. And um, a couple of weeks ago, I heard somebody behind me talking about how awesome the worship service that they were at was. And, um, and, and it was tied into the emotion and it was tied into all this kind of stuff and just how awesome, how awesome, how awesome. <laughs> and in my head, I couldn't help but think, whoa, 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 that's great. But what's awesome is when Christ is proclaimed. Like, like that's what makes awesome, awesome. Like that's, that's it. And so we have been bathed in the gospel all morning long. And so um, I, I'm glad that I've been able to be a part of that with you. And hopefully uh, we'll just continue to boast in the name of Christ together. So that's really all I've got. Um, my name is Troy. I'm glad to be here. When I said, that's all I've got, y'all ready to go, right? <laughs> y'all right. Sweet. Um, so I did have a professor tell me in seminary, uh, when you're a guest pastor, you better be 20 minutes shorter than the pastor. And, uh, so, but I did some research and Kobe usually goes for about an hour and a half. So, uh, so we get, um, <clears throat> we'll have a good time just hanging out together in the word. It, it really is an honor to be here. I'm honored, um, for several reasons. I'm honored because, um, Colby is a dear, dear friend. I mean, that's why I shaved my head to look like him, right? Um, <laughs> No, no, God did this to me. Colby does it to look cool. God took my hair off. Um, so I, I'm honored to be here um, because I love Colby, because Colby loves Jesus, and Colby loves this community. And it's a neat thing to be in ministry alongside Colby. Uh, I'm also honored to be here because of the, the pillar of Christianity that Alberta Baptist has been in this community for a long time. And so it is with great honor that I'm here with you guys um, uh, based on your history. And then number three, um, I'm honored just because of the text that you guys are in. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn. Uh, we're in Romans chapter 10, and I'm just carrying along with the journey that you guys have already been going through. So I'm honored to be a long ride in this journey with you. Uh, Safe Haven Church went through this same book of the Bible a couple of years ago. Um, it took us 64 weeks to make it through. I'm not sure what pace you guys are on, but it is worth it. Whatever it is, it is worth it. Um, I'm sure your church, like ours, is growing up in the gospel as this is just being proclaimed over you um, each and every week. And so it's an honor to be here with you. What I want to do um, in, in this handout, just um, there are notes. I'm that I've put there. Um, in no way are these inspired at all, uh, but for note takers um, who are OCD and need to walk away with something like me, um, there's a couple of things. We'll highlight those as we go through. You can follow along in the guide if that's beneficial to you. Um, but what I want to do before we read the text aloud together, I want to kind of catch us back up real fast uh, with where Colby was just last week in Romans 10, 14. And so this is where we were um, in that journey together. Uh, verse 14 of chapter 10 says this, how will they call on him in whom they haven't believed? Uh, so in other words, as Colby pointed out, belief actually inaugurates a call. There's something to that. The belief, there's, there's no calling without believing, which is deeply theological. 
but it's incredibly practical too. Colby talked about all of that. And then the verse goes on to say this, and, and how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? So there's no believing without hearing. It goes on to say this, and, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? This is great. Um, you are a proclaimer of the gospel if you're a believer in this room. It's not the professionals only, whatever a professional even is. We're to proclaim the gospel and we get to be a part of that. And so as we proclaim sin and substitution, again, I don't want to preach what Colby's already preached, but as I was listening to Colby wax eloquently through this passage, I thought of that old phrase that people attribute to St. Francis of Assisi. And it goes something like this. Um, proclaim the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. You've all heard that said, right? Well, here's the deal. There's a couple of problems with that. Number one, St. Francis never said it. <laughs> and number two, it's not in the scriptures. The gospel is something that's said, that's heralded. So yes, we love, but absolutely we speak, <laughs> And we proclaim the historical narrative of the true gospel story. And then it goes on to say this, verse 15. And how are they to preach unless they're sent? And then you guys had people that you sent out that are headed off. And then it ended with this section here. And as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. (laughs) And then Colby said something. And man, if you didn't get it last week, I'm going to quote it for you again. It's, it's Twitter-worthy, although it's longer than 140 characters, so we'd have to shrink it up. But this is what Colby said, and it's so good and it's so right to get us to where we're at. He said this, no one will go to heaven because you were kind to them. But let's be the kindest people who have ever proclaimed the gospel who will get people to heaven. That's so good. It's so right. So that's the context that we're in, and I'm just going to pick up on that context, and we're just going to carry along. So Paul is saying, listen, here's what the gospel is. It's got to be spoken. It's got to be believed. It's got to be heralded. It's got to be heard. And then we get to this section. So if you will, we do this at our church, and and I don't know, Colby didn't tell me I I couldn't do it. Um, uh, Would you stand with me for the public reading of God's word uh, where we're at today? We'll be in Romans ten sixteen through 21. And this is the word of the Lord. It says this, in light of all those things we've just talked about, but they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Well, indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? And first, Moses says, I'll I'll make you a jealous of those who are not a nation. Uh, With a foolish nation, I'll make you angry. And then Isaiah is so bold as to say it this way. I've been found by those who didn't even seek me. And I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. The word of God for the people of God. Be seated.
So as we, as we just kind of dive right on in, um, what you see right off the bat, and this is point number one in the handout, what you see is Paul is saying, look, there's a looming frustration. This looming frustration is simply this, why on earth do some still not believe? This whole thing has been talking about how we believe, how they come to know. And then he says, why do some still not believe? There's this looming frustration there in verse 16, but they've not all obeyed. And Isaiah says, Lord, who's believed from us? And, and the answer to that question, who has believed in Isaiah 52 is, you ready for this? Not many. That's the answer. And so they're frustrated. Why? And this whole thing began, and I'm not sure how long ago it was that you were in Romans 9, but this whole section began with Romans 9, Paul saying this, look, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Here it is, that I have great sorrow an unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed, that I was literally damned, that I was cut off from Christ. Why? So that my brothers would believe, my kinsmen according to the flesh. So I mean, Paul has this great sorrow, this great anguish. I, I want my brothers to believe. I mean, how many of us would literally say, I would so much that they would believe that I'll be damned. That's a bold statement, that I'll be cut off, accursed. And so this is what he says, and he's got this great sorrow and this looming frustration still goes on. And so what's happening is, listen, we're feeling the weight, we're feeling the pressure that Paul feels for his brothers. He wants them to believe. And so he screams out, here's how they believe. And I know you anticipate the question, Paul saying, why then are they not believing? Is the question we find ourselves in. The anguish of Paul's soul is being revealed. Um, just as illustration, and I, just for sake of illustration, um, not to rob of the glory of the gospel, because we're, we're, the illustration is for the glory of the gospel. Um, a couple of years ago, Julie Beth and I, um, Julie Beth had taken Macy Lane, um, who was our 11-year-old, to the doctor. And it was just a, a checkup. But at the time, she was probably about four, something like that, five years old. And uh, so she goes to the doctor here in town. Uh, we had kind of just moved into town. And, and so she goes to the doctor and just a regular checkup. And the doctor says, hey, um, there's something going on, probably nothing, but we need to, you probably need to go get this checked out. And so he had heard something like a flutter in her heart or, or something like that. And so sure enough, um, Julie Beth loads up Macy, um, heads on into uh, Birmingham, and, and the doctor goes in. And he says, hey, probably nothing, no big deal. Uh, let's just take a look. And so they, they took a look, a look, and then I get a phone call. 15 minutes later, Julie Beth going, they're going to do open heart surgery on our daughter. And I'm like, whoa, 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 I thought you said this was nothing. What is going on? How, like, how did we go from this is probably nothing to all of a sudden we're going to be doing this thing? And so uh, there was something going on with her heart and, and it had to get fixed. And so we talked about it. We, we prayed about it. They sent her home. We, we had some time to discuss of how this is going to take place and when it's going to take place. And I'll never forget this day. I'm telling you, as, as, as I stand here today, I will never forget this moment. We're sitting there. 
And the doctor comes in and the nurse has already prepped her and all that kind of stuff. They've brought her in the little teddy bear and the doctor begins to talk and he says, hey, okay, we're, we're ready to go. And I'm like, great, we're ready, to, let's do this. Let's rock this out. I got the teddy bear in one hand. I got Macy Lane's hand in the other hand. And then the nurse says, hey, all right, it's time. We're ready to do this. And I'm like, great, let's do this. Another nurse comes in. I'm still holding Macy Lane's hand. Hey, hey, Mr. Nicholson, we have to do this. I'm like, great, let's do it. And the doctor's like, Mr. Nicholson, you're gonna have to let go of your daughter's hand. And I'm like, over my dead body, you're gonna have to cut my heart out before, I'm, I am going in there with you. And I know Mr. Nicholson, you're not. But in that moment, that I, I had this, this pressure. Like I wanted to do something. But here's the deal. There's nothing I could do. It was in the hands of somebody greater than me. It was in the hands of somebody more powerful than me. It was in the hands of somebody more skilled than me. And this is kind of where we find ourselves here. Paul screaming out, why on earth? My pressure is I want to be with them. I want to be the substitute for them. I want to share with them. I I want them to believe. and, And why on earth are they not believing? Did God fail them? Did God himself fail his own people? Why are they not believing? He's all powerful. He could do anything he wants to do. Why are they not believing is the question. And so what they're basically saying is, is, is God the one to blame? Should we just blame God because they're still not believing? And so Paul begins this litany three things real fast. Of, he unpacks this objection Number one, did God not give them enough opportunity to believe? And we see in verse 18 that Paul says, no, 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 he gave them great grace and opportunity. This is in verse 18, let's read this or look at this this again. He says this, but I ask, okay, they're not believing. Have Have they just not heard? In anticipation of that question, Paul answers the question. He says, no, 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 indeed they have for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So Paul defends the greatness and the sovereignty of the Lord by saying, oh, they absolutely have had chance to hear. I have given them plenty of opportunity. So real fast, several ways in which the Lord's done this. He's revealed himself through creation. That tracks back all the way. I don't, again, I'm not sure when y'all began this, Joey, but it tracks back to Romans 1. He says, listen, I've revealed myself through creation. That in itself is a great opportunity. Have you ever gazed upon a star? Just walked out here in the Northport or Tuscaloosa night and just kind of looked up and gazed upon a star and said, whoa, that's unbelievable. Let me tell you something that's more amazing to me than a star sometimes, a bumblebee. Number one, just because they scare me, and I'm, uh, I'm fairly uh, uh, non-manly, so they scare me to death. Uh, number two, they're just a funny-looking creature, right? It's like a basketball with wings. It's like a little mini basketball floating around. And I'm like, how, like, how does that thing even work, you know? And then my kids run up with a tennis racket and play, you know, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. They play tennis racket with the bumblebees, and I'm like, well, leave, the, leave the little flying basketball alone. 
He's, he's not hurt you in any way, shape, form, or fashion. But you look at the little bumblebee and you're like, oh, wow, that's amazing. The eye doctor, I went to the eye doctor not too long ago and it, it refreshed something in my mind that I heard. I don't see very well. Um, and, and, and so as we're looking at that, uh, one of the guys told me one time, he said, Troy, you realize, um, he was an eye doctor, he said, he said, you realize that it takes three million synapses, connections in your brain from your optical nerve to make your eye see right. Three million connections have to happen. What an amazing Lord we have. What an amazing God. And so Paul says, listen, I know why do they not believe, but here's the deal. It's, it's not God's fault. He's given ample opportunity through the little flying basketballs, through the three million connections, through the stars. He's made himself clearly seen. But not only that, he's revealed himself through this word. Oh my heavens. I love media and I love technology. But media and technology have no life-giving power like this book. It's alive. He's given us this word and just because men and women reject it doesn't make it not true. And so he says, look, I've, I've, I've given opportunity through creation, through the word and, and then through the prophets of old and ultimately Paul is about to say, and I'm giving them opportunity through you. Through you, the beautiful feet who proclaim the good news. I've given them opportunity. So he says that, looming frustration. Why on earth did they not believe? Number one, it's not God's fault. He's given them opportunity. They've choose to reject it. But then number two, the anticipated injection is, okay, well, okay, maybe, maybe he did let them all hear it and give them opportunity, but maybe they just didn't understand. Maybe they just thought it was for the covenant nation of Israel. So maybe they didn't understand that it was for all people is the objection he expects. In verse 19, 19 and 20, he goes on to say, no, no, no. <laughs> he's given them opportunity and he's also always proclaimed that there is a global sufficiency in salvation. He says it this way, verse 19. Okay, but I ask, did Israel not understand? And then he answers with Moses and Isaiah, oh, no, no, no. Moses said, I'll make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I'll make you angry. So even back from Moses, the lawgiver, he says, listen, they, they always should have understood because Moses said it's for all people. Even the Gentiles will be frustrated. And not only that, but Isaiah. Isaiah is so bold to say it this way. I've been found by those who didn't seek me. I've shown myself to those who didn't ask for me. So did they misunderstood? Did they just think that salvation was something that was national? No, 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 no. Paul says, listen, it's always been substitutionary with a global sufficiency. So as I think back through that, I can't help but think of the radical nature of the gospel. Here's what I mean by that. The fact that God saves any is a miracle. And if you're a believer in this room, 
the fact that your heart was awakened to the gospel is glorious grace. Here's why I say it's radical. Growing up, my perception of the gospel was something along these lines. Okay, so here's the gospel. You are at Lake Tuscaloosa. Why not? And some of you probably are going this afternoon to Lake Tuscaloosa. Um, I'd love for you to invite me, me and my family. We got three kids. We'll have a great time at your lake house. Um, We we love the lake, but but here's the deal. Um, Imagine we're at Lake Tuscaloosa and we're on a pier. The way that I always kind of heard the gospel, and I'm not saying it was proclaimed necessarily this way, it's just the way that I heard it. So it's probably my fault. But the way that I heard it was something along these lines. I'm at Lake Tuscaloosa. I've ran and I've jumped off of the pier. Now I'm in the water. But the problem is, is that I left my swimmies off. <laughs> um, don't act like you don't have swimmies. Come on now. I left my swimmies off. I, I'm in, you're in the water and you can't swim. So, so the problem is you, you're, you're, you're drowning. You need somebody to come in and get you. And so what Christ does with the gospel is he grabs a life raft and he throws it out there to you. And then he says, hey, look, if you want to be saved, grab on to it. And that's the way that I always heard the gospel proclaimed, which squarely put the ball in my court to be the one to grab the life raft and to make the life raft work. And then I began to read the gospels. <laughs> and here's what I began to understand. Yes, I absolutely jumped off the pier, but the problem is not that I couldn't swim. The problem is, according to Ephesians, I'm dead. And dead men can't grab a life raft. So in my sin and in my deadness, Christ jumps in, doesn't throw me a life raft, but jumps in with me and for me. And he brings a dead person to life. That's radical. Because there's no sufficiency in and of myself. There's no goodness that I can do. And I'm not bound by the badness that I do as well. The point is, That in my inadequacy, Christ became my sufficiency. In my deadness, he brought me to life. And if you're a believer in this room, you couldn't swim either. You were sinking and he grabbed you. There's so much more to this that we could keep going on to because it doesn't just end there. He doesn't just grab you and say, hey, I'm going to drag your dead fishy body up onto the pier and give you CPR and bring you to life. It's more than that. He says this, he says, no, 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 no. You're going to sink with me and you're going to be crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we'll live. And so he jumps in and we die with him at the cross and he raises us to a brand new life that we never knew before we jumped into the water. It's all new. And these people, Paul's going, and I want other people to know this as I spit everywhere. He says, I feel the pressure. And here's why I feel the pressure. Because I know I was dead and I know he saved me and I want him to save other people. So my goodness, let's herald the gospel. Do you feel the pressure? that Paul's speaking of here. Looming frustration. Why on earth did they not believe? 
Well, it wasn't because they didn't have opportunity. And it was absolutely not because there was not a global sufficiency. The gospel's enough and it's radical. So the million dollar question and we'll wrap it up. So if they've had opportunity to hear and if the gospel has been heralded and proclaimed, how does a gracious God who's loving and gracious, 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 how does he respond to an obstinate, stiff-necked people who are hell-bent on their own way? How does he respond to them? Does he zap them with a lightning bolt? (laughs) Does he cast them out and say, you're out forever? How does a gracious divine being function? He gives them more grace. More scandalous grace. And so Paul says, no, look, look. There's no excuse anticipating, was God not patient enough with them? Is that why they're not believing? He says, oh, no, no, no. He was long-suffering. So he ends it with God's grace in long-sufferingness. I'm not quite sure if that is a real word, but we're just gonna go with it. Sufferingness. It's this long-suffering nature that we see here. Verse 21 But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. And all of us who have been redeemed, who are obstinate and contrary people say, amen. (laughs) Amen, that he holds out his hand to us who are obstinate and contrary, just like the nation of Israel. In other words, no one will ever say, well, God wasn't there for me to be had. Wasn't enough time, wasn't enough opportunity. Didn't understand, no one will ever say that. He's waving the banner of the gospel and bidding, come, come, come. I'll end with this illustration. Um, I heard this story a long time ago. Not sure if it's a true story, gonna act like it is. Just one of those stories that I think has a great point. Um, the story goes with this man who was about to head off to war. He was a young guy several years ago. And um, before he went off, him and his father had had a, a, a big, big fight. And it literally came to blows. And some of you guys know, some of you guys have been there. Let's just, hey, let's just be honest and be real. Some of us have tried to bow up on our dad only to realize that our dad's still our dad. No matter how size you are, he, you know, they got that man strength, Right? Daddy strength, and, and so he bowed up on his dad, and, and they had a little tiff, and then he heads off to war. And so as he's off to war, he, he begins to think about this, and he thinks, man, I, that was a horrible way to end our relationship. And so he wrote his dad, and his dad never responded. Days and weeks went on. I'm gonna write my dad again. Wrote his dad. His dad never responded. Begin to pen letters like this, Dad, here's my release date, I've got it, and I want to come home, but I'm just not sure if I can come home or not. Would you please respond? Sends it off. No response. Dad, the days are getting closer. I've got two weeks. I'll be on such and such a train headed through town on this date. I'd love to come home if I can. Dad never responds. Dad, the day's come. I'm packing my bags. Here's where I'm headed. Dad, I know by your response, maybe there's some still frustration going on. 
I'd love to come home and let's just make it easy for both of us. Dad, if I can come home as the train comes through, I'd love for you to go out to the tree, the oak tree in the yard, and I'd love for you to tie just a white ribbon on it. If you just tie that white ribbon, Dad, I'll know that when the train stops that I can get off and I can come on home. He gets on the train, he begins to head through the journey. As the train approaches town, the, the man begins to sweat. He's, he's nervous. He doesn't know if his dad's going to take him back. He drives up and he's got a buddy sitting right next to him. He says, I can't look. I, I just can't look. I don't know if my dad's going to take me back. I don't know. <laughs> and as they approach, he puts his head down and his buddy says, hey, I, I think you need to look. And the boy says, no, I just I can't bear to look. Will you, will you please just tell me if there's a ribbon in the oak tree? And then the, the man says, look, you, you've got to look for yourself. If you don't face it yourself, you'll never come to terms with it. And so the boy begins to lift his eyes. And as he lifts his eyes, he doesn't just see one ribbon in the tree. But the whole tree is covered with ribbons. And not only that, the dad is standing in the yard with a big bed sheet, waving it for his son to come home. And as I hear this, and I think about God's long sufferingness, the glorious news is that he stands there for sinners, waving a giant flag saying, Come on home. It doesn't matter how rotten you feel. It doesn't matter the past. I'm waving the flag. And as Paul is saying here in this story, it is so convicting yet so encouraging that we as believers in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, get to be sharers not of waving the giant flag but having at least a little flag going here's who Christ is he is long suffering he is patient he is opportunistic he is there his grace is available come home to the father through the work of the son and so the climactic resolution Why on earth not are people believing, but why on earth did any of us ever actually believe? Because of the work of the Son drawing us in. No one will ever enter the kingdom of heaven and St. Peter go, why should I let you in? Two reasons. Number one, that's not in the Bible either. Number two, Peter's flawed like us. <laughs> no one will ever into heaven going, sure I'm glad I chose you. We will all bow and go, thank you, Lord, for awakening my heart unto faith so that I could rightly see you and respond in faith and repentance. All glory to Jesus Christ. And so there is no category in Scripture to end it as the band comes on back up. There's no category in Scripture for those who want to believe and can't believe. The gospel is opportunistic. The gospel is globally sufficient. 
And in Christ's great grace, the Father's long-suffering nature is exposed to us. He's readily available today. It's just a miracle that that sufficient gospel actually becomes efficient. And that's what Paul's trying to say to us. It's a miracle that it becomes efficient in anybody's life. And with that said right there, I'll hit the pause button. And chapter 11's coming. And I will leave that up to (laughs) y'all. We'll leave that in Colby, Mr. Pews, Jared's, and whoever else communicates. We'll leave that squarely in their court. Um, The beautiful news is that God's grace, just like to these people, is available. Not on the basis of works, not on the basis of religion, not on the basis of walking the aisle and getting baptized in this gorgeous baptistry. Salvation doesn't rest in any of that. Those things will fail you every time. But the substitutionary work of Christ will sustain you forever. And as we said growing up in minor high school, forever. Forever. Um, So unbeliever in the room, if you're within the sound of my voice, it's not too late. The opportunity's here for you. The sufficiency is here for you. The long-sufferingness is here for you. Are you trusting in your works or the work of Christ? It's not what you do or what you don't do. It's what Christ has done. Call on him today. Repent today of your sin. Believers in the room, oh my stars. We hold a great treasure in our hands. If I don't move that, I'll just keep going, right? And we'll all burn our roasts. Sometimes we probably need to burn our roast, but that's for another story for another day. We hold a great treasure. Why on earth would we keep it to ourselves? It has the power of life now and life eternal. Forever. Give it away. At work tomorrow, in your cubicle tomorrow, stop it with the nonsense of, well, if, if God will just make something miraculous happen and then he'll tell me when to share. Mission is 99% intentionality and 1%, 1% spontaneity. It's squarely in our court. At home today, let's be gospel proclaimers. Partner in Tuscaloosa and Northport to proclaim the good news of Christ. I love it. We are an army. We're an army. And the gates of hell will not prevail against the gospel through us. So let's proclaim it. All right, I better shut up. Love you guys. Thanks for hanging out. Let me hang out with you. Um, Be a part of the word with you. Be partakers together in Christ's glorious suffering, but also his sufficiency. I'm gonna pray. Um, I'll be hanging out down here. I'm sure Joe, we'd love to, if, if today, if you want to pray and meet with the Lord, man, do that today. Do it. Um, I'll pray with you and then we'll respond. Jesus, thank you for.